O God, our defender, storms rage around and within us and cause us to be afraid. Rescue your people from despair and chaos. Deliver your sons and daughters from fear and preserve in us the faith of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Throughout the scriptures, water is a powerful symbol. It symbolizes lots of things like life and death, blessing and affliction, order and chaos. Water figures in the Bible in three main ways. Number one is a cosmic force that only God can control and govern. And we even see that in our psalm this morning when the psalm says that the Lord that commands the waters and the Lord that rules the sea. And we also see, uh, as number two, as a source of life. And then number three, as a cleansing agent, where the Lord comes and renews. It represents danger and chaos, darkness and sin. The significance of water was heightened for biblical writers who lived in a region where water was scarce and drought was a constant threat to life. Remember at the very beginning in the book of Genesis that it was a formless waste and God's spirit hovered over the surface of the water. Water symbolized this primal chaos that is opposed to God's promises. But there is God's Holy Spirit hovering confidently and powerfully over the waters. Later in the book of Genesis, we hear that the human sin became so profound on the earth that God sent the rain which caused a flood that covered the whole world. And only Noah and his family in the great ark managed to escape. Same symbol, the waters of chaos and sin and darkness and disorder. Yet through God's grace, Noah and his family were able to survive. They were able to hover over the surface of the chaos, sin, and darkness. When the Israelites are escaping from Egypt, they come to the Red Sea, and they're confronted by this chaotic power that blocks their escape and access to freedom. And Moses prays and he strikes the water with his staff and it opens up, making a pathway for the Israelites to make their way through the Red Sea. And once again, God's power is greater than sin, darkness, chaos, confusion, and destruction. When the Israelites are entering into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they must cross the river of Jordan. Joshua prays and a path opens up. The whole nation of Israel comes dry into the promised land. Same symbol, God's lordship over the powers of chaos. And in our Old Testament reading this morning, we heard about Jonah. How Jonah was not only in the depths of the sea, but he was inside a large fish. And he cries out to God. God heards his prayer. And then we heard that the big ship, the big fish, uh, vomited uh, Jonah out into this into the ground so ancient people in general were afraid of the water it was the principal means of transportation across great distance but ships often hugged the shore when they could because people were so afraid of going out into the deep and we could see how this gets into the deep psyche of people they thought water was chaotic they thought it was dangerous 
Now in the New Testament, the same symbol can be found in all the Gospels. There is some version of this story of Jesus mastering the waves and exerting his power and authority over the storm. Matthew 14, 22-25 says, And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain to, uh, by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. As I was just reading this, I had this thought, maybe some of us feel like that this morning. We feel like our lives have been beaten by the waves. Let me stop here for a moment. The boat through the years has always been interpreted as a symbol of the church. And like Noah's Ark, it is this place of safety that is making its way through the stormy waters of sin, darkness, chaos, and destruction. The waves kicking up all um, are all the things that attack the people of God in the church that we often feel like we are beaten by these waves. The disciples are terrified as we often are in the midst of a painful, dark, and chaotic world. We are meant to hear and think about those Old Testament stories in which I made reference. During the fourth watch, like 3 to 6 a.m., the darkest time of the night, Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. So here Jesus, fully human and fully divine, manifests his power over the waters, sin, chaos, darkness, and corruption. The disciples thought it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear, and Jesus immediately spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Think about that. It is I. Doesn't that make you think of the I am when Moses asked God what his name was? God said, I am. I am who I am. I am. Don't be afraid. And We think of the I am sayings in the Gospel of John as well. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am is able to master the chaos and destruction, death, and the watery grave. Verses 28 and 29 And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. We are given through faith participation in the divine life. And we've talked about that many times before. This is the heart of the Christian faith, to be in relationship with God. God wants to be in relationship with us from the very beginning of time. God has lordship over the waters, and so can we if we have faith in him, if we look to him, if we keep him the center of our lives, if we keep our hearts, minds, bodies, and eyes fixed on him, if we participate with him. We too can walk on, hover over, have authority over, and rise above the chaos and darkness, and live in peace over and in the midst of the storms of life. 
Verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. How beautiful. Through faith, we have access to the divine life and and, and God's power. When we look away from Christ to the waves, to other things that frighten us, we begin to sink. We're told in Hebrews 12 to fix our eyes on Jesus throughout life, through all the ups and the downs. Our faith and trust is in Jesus and we look to him. We place our lives in him. May we look and fix our gaze on him and we can walk with Jesus and in relationship with him no matter what storms we face in life. And there are many. All we have to do is look at the places where we gather our news. Chaos. Darkness. Confusion. Division. And sin surrounds us. Are we letting it make us stressed and anxious? Are we letting it rot our soul? Or are we walking with Jesus and allowing him to give us his peace, comfort, and love through all the storms that we face? Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Faith gives us access to God's life, even in the midst of the storm, darkness, and chaos. We are all in danger of being overwhelmed, but we can keep our hearts, eyes, and attention fixed on Jesus. This enables us to walk on those waters, to hover over those chaotic, deep, dark places, and therefore we're able to be a witness to Jesus Christ. Let me be very, very clear. As we've talked about many times before, this is not a promise that we will always be removed from problems and persecutions, and tribulations, and storms, and death. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm, and sometimes the storm continues to rage, but he calms his children. We can learn a lot about martyrs. Did you know that the 20th century had the greatest number of martyrs than any other century in the church? And yes, that includes the first, second, and third centuries. When the church was most overwhelmed by the waves, threatened by the powers of chaos and confusion, the martyrs emerged. We know some of the famous stories. There are thousands of martyrs who witnessed about Christ in the midst of the storms. I want to share a story with you that I learned from Robert, um, Bishop Robert Barron, the, the Trappist monks, Tiburon. Um, in Algeria, and the monastery was founded in 1934 by these French Trappists. And they were there for many decades. And during the 1960s, the Algerian independence movement arose, and the Algerians threw off the French political yoke and established their own government. In time, radical Islamic groups began to assert themselves, and they started to threaten this monastery. And over the years, they harassed them, and they sent frightening messages. Things intensified in the 80s and the early 90s. Some armed terrorists arrived at the monastery and threatened the monks directly. And the abbot, maintaining his calm, would say, "We, we are a place of peace. 
No need for weapons of violence in this place. And the terrorists would demand that the doctor would take care of their wounded. And the abbot said, that's perfectly fine. We're here to do just that. In the mid-1990s, things began um, very dicey and dangerous. And many in the church urged them to find safer places to live and minister. Many urged them to return to France because it was too dangerous. But they said, no, we must witness with peace precisely here and now. When it became clear that their lives were in danger, they gathered to vote, and they voted unanimously to stay. And on the night of March the 27th, 1996, the band of Islamic militants came and kidnapped them, dragged them away to the hills, and for many days no one knew what had happened to them. And several weeks later, their headless bodies were found. They had all been decapitated. It was only then that a testament surfaced. It was a document written by the abbot in advance to this event. And he explained why they stayed. They stayed in order to be a witness for Christ, a presence of peace, a presence of the Prince of Peace. They did not flee during the time of persecution, even when the waves, darkness, and chaos threatened to destroy them. He anticipated the day of his death and addressed in advance the man who would kill him. And he calls the terrorist and killer a brother and a friend. And he prays that they would meet one day in heaven. This is what it means, friends, to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus Christ, even when the waves threaten to overwhelm us. And when we do that, like Jesus can walk on the water or at least walk in relationship with Jesus who abides with us through any storm in life. I can't promise you that you're going to make it out alive, but I can promise that he will walk with you through it. It is noteworthy that the storm does not cease while Peter is walking on the water But with his eyes fixed on Jesus, he experiences the faith to believe that he can overcome his fear in the midst of the storm. In the midst of each storm, there is divine grace that saves when we cry out. And for the church, Christ is the locus of God's salvific love. The church's journey and the liminal space between Advents, Jesus' first and second coming, is not merely a time to endure until better better times, but it's a unique opportunity to know, love, and serve our Lord now as the one who is worthy of our worship and the one who brings good news to the world through our actions and our words. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.